And we welcome you to another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shopta, C70. It's about at C70 on Twitter. With me, as always, is Tara Wellman from Birds on the Black and at Tara Wellman on Twitter. We are 73 days since the last um, Cardinal baseball game. Um, it has not gotten any easier, I don't think, Tara, in this whole span. You know, this idea that, you know, we kind of get used to the lack of baseball and I don't feel like we have uh, maybe that's me, but what about you? No, I think especially with this being uh, a holiday weekend and normally we're, you know, watching games Memorial day or, or cooking out with family and talking about baseball or you and I are discussing, well, is this who they really are at this point in the season? It's weird to not be talking about that at all. And, you know, there is some sort of, I guess, just uh, doing the same thing over and over again that makes it feel a little less unusual in the sense that like we've been doing this for two and a half months now and it I, I won't say it feels normal but it feels a little less strange than it did right at the beginning that said I don't think it's lessened anyone's desire for there to be baseball in their lives or live sports in a wide range of of varieties so this is a, a weekend that for sure it, it makes it stand out a little bit more that there's still no no sports in our lives. But I, I also think that the fact that so many things are opening up for better or worse, and that's a, a different <laughs> it's a different argument. But because of that, people are getting a little antsy, I think, for more things to get back to normal and to feel a little bit more like we're moving past this. And whether we are or not, I guess, is still to be seen. But it's it's uh, pretty fair, I think, to be hoping for that and <laughs> to feel a little bit more like we're moving in the right direction. You know, it's Ricky Horton had a, a tweet out. I think it was Ricky today saying that today would have been basically game 54. It'd been a third of the season is has been wiped out so far. And it's kind of to me like if you, you know, if you have friends that have kids and you used to know them pretty well and then they kind of fell out of your life and all of a sudden you see a picture and the kids you know 10 years older and it's taller than their parent and all the stuff and you still remember them as this little you know pipsqueak type of thing that kind of feels like to me like i feel like the baseball season is still just about to start because that's where we left it and it's hard to believe that we've already we would we've gone this far we're this deep into what yeah. should have been a season and you know it's like wow where did i mean I mean, yes, it's been agonizing and, and at times feels like one day is equal to three. But then on the other hand, you know, we've already lost a third of the season. And <laughs> the question remains whether we'll see any of that, any of that season return. But we'll get to that in a little bit. But the closest thing we had to, and I guess it really counts as Cardinal News this week, was the Induction of three new people into the Cardinal Hall of Fame. The fans elected in uh, Tommy Herr and John Tudor, and then the the Red Ribbon Committee uh, placed Bill White in there. Um, interesting a little bit. Herr was uh, on the ballot for the first year. Um, Tudor had been on, I think, two, maybe three years. Um, what were your thoughts on, on who went in? Quite honestly, I'm always bad at this. <laughs> I <laughs> didn't... I don't have quite the the foundation on the Cardinals history side of things that I feel like a lot of people do who have very strong opinions on these things. Um, 
it just, I, I think because my sort of Cardinals obsession started later in life, uh, I didn't necessarily dive all the way back in, you know, determining my favorite players from from history and picking up some of these these guys. Now obviously I know who they are and and I know enough to say, "Oh, that's that's great. I'm I'm glad that's happening for them." Um I don't necessarily feel like I have enough uh <laughs> I don't know clout in that area to try to argue against or for someone else getting in ahead of them. So my take on on who should have been there or sh- who shouldn't have been there, Hernandez being the guy that everyone's talking about, I, I don't feel like I have a, a ton to add to that conversation. So I don't want to just be noise. But I will say, and I, I tweeted about this, um, I've mentioned a number of times that my dad's dad was actually offered a contract by the, the St. Louis Cardinals at one point. Mm-hmm. And it was at the time when, you know, post-war, they were uh, allowing basically tryouts. And he went to an open tryout and was offered a contract. And he was a first baseman. And one Bill White was the current (laughs) first baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals. So he would have been relegated to the minor leagues. And at the time, that was even less pleasant than it is now. And he had, you know, a wife and... (sighs) some children to take care of. And that didn't seem like a a wise choice. So Bill White is the reason that my grandfather was not a professional baseball player because he turned down that contract knowing he would never get a chance at first base playing behind Bill White. So that's, uh, that's about all I have to add to that conversation. (laughs) If it wasn't for Bill White, you could be going back there as part of this Cardinal family as they honor, you know, grandfather who probably would have been in getting his own red jacket right um if it wasn't for bill white so just ruined everything yeah i could see how you could have some some pent up i mean like congrats to him and everything but also (laughs) (laughs) it was very interesting to read i think it was Derek gould's article um that when they talked to bill white and it basically well done he did not it's not that he didn't want to go in. He didn't feel like he should go in to the Cardinal Hall of Fame. He didn't feel like he deserved to go in there. And I think there was some arm twisting and some people talking to him. And he finally just would agreed to be on the ballot to be, you know, or be considered by the Red Ribbon Committee to be put into the Hall of Fame. So not that he, any, you know, he's, I think he's 86. He's not traveling so even if they had a reception, he's not coming down for it. And that's understandable. Um, but it was very interesting. I mean, not that he's not appreciative of it, but he really seems to come at it differently than some of these people. Now, part of that's the, you know, the era and, and the time period that he's come from. I mean, you know, he was on those teams and had some really great players. And of course, he was right after Red and Stan and all those yeah. kind of guys and um, actually on the same team with Stan for a little while. So he could say it's pretty easy to say you don't measure up to, to some of those guys but you know bill white had a pretty solid career on his own and I, I don't think there's anybody that's that's faulting for putting him in there except for you know your family right yeah but you know it's kind of like if you if you lose in the playoffs you you kind of want to lose to the team that ends up winning it all because then you feel mm-hmm. like cool i was i was right there so right. there's a little bit of vindication and being like yeah my grandpa didn't didn't accept the contract because he was blocked by a hall of famer so you know <laughs> there's something to that um but no you i imagine that playing in that era with some of those not just greats in cardinals history but greats in baseball history 
could lend itself to a little bit of an uh, imposter syndrome sort of sort of thing and and maybe feeling like you know it's I often wonder about those guys who played on I, we were talking about the NBA before we started recording guys who played um on you know those great Bulls teams, right? Or even more recently, the Warriors teams that were a bit of a dynasty. The guy who played on those teams that was like pretty good, but not one of the big three. <laughs> like that guy is still every bit the champion that Michael Jordan is, but no one, no one's going to put the two of them in proximity as far as their status in the game. So uh, not to take away anything from from Bill White but I feel like it would be pretty easy in light of a Stan or a Red or you know the guys that came shortly after him or being in that conversation it's not unreasonable maybe because I do this all the time <laughs> it's not unreasonable to feel like oh, I'm not sure I belong in that conversation when you compare directly to to what those other guys did. But, you know, it's it's not about the comparison with them as much as it is just looking at the career that he put together and and how successful it was and the longevity and the the fact that it deserves to be remembered. Yeah, exactly. I pulled up his numbers just to look at them. And, you know, he spent eight years in St. Louis, um, missed a year in 57 because of, of the military. But, um, you know, well, that was before he came into St. Louis. But uh, he was an eight-time all-star with the Cardinals yeah. um, and that's a little bit of a asterisk because that was at least three of those years they had two all-star games so he was all-star twice <laughs> in one year uh, hey you know it counts, it counts. It counts. <laughs> absolutely um, I don't know exactly whose idea this idea you know ooh, well never mind it sounds exactly like baseball Ooh, people yeah, like huh? this let's yeah. give them more um, until they're tired of it and it makes it means absolutely nothing um, but uh, won the gold glove let's see five times looks like maybe six with the Cardinals was in, in the MVP voting uh, three times. In fact, finished third in 64. Um, so he had a good career with the Cardinals. Hit 290, uh, 298, uh, had 140 homers in those, in those eight years. So definitely a key part of a, of a team of an era, you know, that early part of the sixties, um, you know, 64 was the only world series team he played on, but you know, some good teams in that era. And, yeah. um, so it was can't argue with that. As for her and Tudor, both good players. I continue, and I've talked about this more on I mean mutual this week. Um, I'm still feel like there tends to be an over representation of that '80s team a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, not that these guys weren't good, and you know, again, it, it really kind of boils down to what are you? What's the Hall of Fame? Is it? You know, right. these guys we remember and these guys we appreciate and these guys that were fan favorites or these guys that were really, really good. I think we're seeing that the Cardinal Hall of Fame is going to be attended more to the, these are the guys we remember. Um, that, that had a, that had a hold on the fan base for whatever reason, you know, Vince Coleman, obviously is, is a, almost a legend, even though he really, except for Spiel, speed, wasn't necessarily over that good. Um, you know, Tommy so, was. So you're I, saying that Pete Cosmo is a Hall of Famer. Um, always possible. <laughs> always possible. <laughs> if, if he had retired after 2012, probably so. Uh, you know, and we made that argument on, on mutual, you know, it's this idea of David Freeze. I mean, David Freeze yeah. had a, a nice career as a Cardinal, but if he doesn't have game six or he doesn't have that playoff, does he, if he Cardinal Hall of Famer with the same career? You know, probably not. But 
you know, he has yeah. it. That that seventy six is, is memorable, and he he will go in because of that. So, yeah, it's and interesting that you mentioned David Freeze. I was on a podcast um, not too long ago where Cody Decker, former uh, major leaguer, was also on the show, and he actually brought up once he learned that I was a Cardinals fan that uh, you know he was like someday someone's going to explain to me how the Cardinals win when they should not win with all these guys that should not be the heroes of the games. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's, that's kind of what they do. It's why devil, Cardinals devil magic is a thing that people talk about. And it was interesting. You know, I, I think about guys like Daniel Descalso being the hero or, uh, you know, like the, the Scott Spezio moments or whatever from the, the recent past, right? Like the, or Pete Cosma, right? Kind of the, the quad a players that come up and, and have a big, week or whatever and it, it ends up being this historic moment for the cardinals um he brought up david freeze as an example he was like i know it, it like people don't like it when i say this but the classic example of that for me is david freeze not that he wasn't a solid player but he wasn't that guy <laughs> and then all of a sudden he was in the in the postseason and um, it's true. I mean, he wasn't even great that season most of the year. And right. of course, he battled injuries and and we all know that story. But he had a moment. He had a couple of moments. But if you count the whole postseason, perhaps as the David Freeze moment, it's hard to ignore that. And I think you're right to your point. What what defines the Hall of Fame? Is it, you know, the the totality of someone's career or is it the significance in cardinals history and you'd be hard pressed to find moments more significant in cardinals history than what david freeze did in that postseason so by that definition absolutely he's a hall of famer but then there are other guys who certainly had more impressive careers that kind of get forgotten because they didn't necessarily um change the course of Cardinals history. And I think in part, that's why a lot of those eighties teams are what they are just because there was so much, there was so much to watch for at that point. And yeah. kind of that era as a whole is immortalized in ways that are <laughs> a little bit confounding to me, but probably because I didn't live through them. And that I think we can see becomes more significant than just straight up career numbers and you know that's that's fine i i think it just you have to know what you're looking at when you look at a hall of fame that's based on the significance in the total story not just you know numbers on a page well and i think that you, you kind of touched on something that kind of leads us into that bit that we're talking about as you mentioned keith hernandez didn't make it this is the seventh year the cardinals have done voting keith hernandez has been on the ballot every year which is something nobody else can say and has yet to make it in um granted he's been up against guys like jim edmonds and willie mcgee and you know larry langford and some of these other guys that are just you know huge fan favorites but over the last couple of years especially you could have even seen him making it in when you compare him to some of the others again it didn't feel like there was a huge fan favorites on this year's ballots, even though Tudor and her wound up winning and obviously have, have that kind of impact on people. They weren't just, you know, they weren't the big guys of that team. It was Aussie and Willie and all that kind of stuff. So um, you could have made that argument. I think that, you know, there's a lot of talk about why Hernandez 
doesn't get in. The biggest, you know, I've made the point. I, I feel like a lot of people tie him with the Mets. He's a Mets broadcaster now. He went to play for the Mets for quite a bit of time. He was against, played against the Cardinals in some of those big 80s rivalry mm-hmm. games, right? You know, he's on the other side. But on the, and then of course there's the, the drug use and things like that that kind of got him shipped out of town. But the other part of that is, is exactly what you're saying. He played, you know, came up in 74, left in 83. The really the only good team, 81, you could say that it was a good team, even though it didn't make the playoffs, but the only real good team was 82 where he won the World Series. He played most of his career on bad teams. And I think we saw with Ray Lankford, we saw with Ted Simmons sometimes, if you're not having those October moments, you know, as much as people may like you at the time, you kind of get pushed back a little bit. You know, I, th- I think about Matt Morris, who was a really good pitcher, pitched through the 90s where, you know, the Cardinals weren't <laughs> yeah. that great. Um, and so I don't think necessarily gets remembered as maybe one of the better pitchers in Cardinal history. There is something about having those October moments or being on teams, of p- teams that people remember, even if, if, you're, if you're not on that October moment, if you're part of that team, that helps a lot. It's a little bit, to me, like the conversation about the MVP in that Hmm. is the MVP the best player in any given season or is it the player that had the greatest impact on the way that the team performed? And how you define that generally changes who that person would be. Because, you know, if we're talking about in the, I mean, look at the the race between Cody Bellinger and um, uh, Brewers, Yelich, Kristen Yelich, sure. my mind just went completely blank. Um, <laughs> but look at the battle between those two, right? And I, I don't know that that race the last couple of years is the best example of it because both of their teams were pretty successful. But then if you look at the American League, who's the, the best player? Well, more often than not, as of late, it's been Mike Trout. But that team also hasn't won. So is he the most valuable addition to a team? Is he driving the success of his team? And how you define what that MVP role is would determine who that player would be. So I kind of see it in that similar light in that, you know, these guys who are in the Cardinals Hall of Fame versus the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, what are you what are you looking at? Is it their part of the legacy or is it the actual baseball talent that determines their their belonging in the Hall of Fame? And I, I, I'm not even necessarily saying it should be one or the other. I just think it it's important in the context of looking at these guys who have gotten in versus guys who haven't to kind of think about it in the context of one or the other, because I think generally you can make the argument either way. It just is going to be different depending on what your priority is. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, you say that and I think of, the last couple of world series MVPs for the Cardinals. Um, mm-hmm. David Freeze being in a 2011 and obviously had these, you know, had some huge moments, but you know, we've had a chance this last little bit to really you know, see a lot of those world series games <laughs> and hear those world series games because that's what people are playing a lot of. Um, and you kind of forget, I think that how much Alan Craig could yeah. have been the MVP of that series because he came through at times this, but you know, the big moments overshadowed it again. Not to say that David Freeze didn't deserve it, 
you go back to 2006 and it was kind of the same thing with David Eckstein. Mm-hmm. Of course, David Eckstein had a good story to go with and had a couple of good hits, but Scott Rowland was just like everywhere in that series, Yeah, but he didn't have a signature moment and that can be enough. So mm-hmm. um, it's interesting. And, and again, it's, it's, it's getting to that point where we're getting into a little bit shallower pool, if you will, I think uh, yeah. until, some of we get some of these two from the 2004, 2005, 2006. Some of these guys start retiring. Um, you know, then you know, and that's you know, we'll see how that works. But I, it feels like next year's kind of it would be really super if Keith Hernandez doesn't make it next year, they probably ought to take him off the ballot for a couple of years. <laughs> it's just not going to happen just, for, a, for a while. Just yeah. <laughs> set it aside and see if maybe you come back at it a little bit differently. So I also um, wonder with these things that are, are fan voted. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the the most accurate representation of the Cardinals fan base, right? Because there are a lot of people who are either aren't voting or aren't like online to vote <laughs> or to see the the push for votes or that kind of thing. So I think that and we saw this early with maybe a little bit of recency bias in the guys who were voted in by the fans right. because the people who are voting are people who watched those players. So, you know, I, I wonder about some of that and how that impacts the outcome of these fan voted things. It's the same thing when you look at, you know, the All-Star game or whatever it is. It becomes a, a popularity contest, not necessarily real, really measured and logical analysis of a player's impact or, or their, their skill set. So I think that's part of it, too. And I don't know that that explains the Hernandez situation, but I do wonder kind of what the actual uh, analysis of these voters might be in um, who they are and and what they watched and what they know about these players from so much before maybe their, their prime viewing years of Cardinals baseball. Yeah. Cause I mean, some of those guys like Keith Hernandez, you couldn't have, you, unless you were in St. Louis and going to ball games, you wouldn't have watched it right. every yep. day. Like you can watch, you know, the guys this year, you know, for the last 10 or 15 years, you've been able to see them every day on your TV. Um, you know, back then, you know, rare, rare time to be on TV. Uh, so definitely, definitely part of that. And, you know, it was a little bit different this year, of course, with everything going on. But the Cardinals didn't, and I wrote about this a long time ago, it feels like now. Um, they didn't make the push for mm-hmm. voting like I thought yeah. they would. You know, they they delayed it by two weeks, the deadline, but they didn't, you know, it could have been very easy to, you know, kind of put it up full scale. Hey, you're sitting at home, you know, here's these guys, let's vote for these <laughs> right. guys, you know, make it, you know, try to, you know, give them hashtags or, you know, you could have. Well, they also could have created some content for themselves and used that time to educate people about these players sure. a bit more sure. and, and do a little bit of a deeper dive and showcase a little bit of their legacy in a different way. So yeah, I I agree. This came up and and it was announced and I was like, Oh, I forgot that that happened. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, granted, I mean, they're all scrambling and trying to figure out what's going on and and everything. And a lot of these people that would be doing some of this stuff are probably working from home, but it was still, uh, still a little bit strange. Um, But then again, that's kind of, that's kind of par for the course, I guess. <laughs> um, all right. Well, as we shift gears a little bit um, and we talk about the return of baseball or if it will actually 
happened this week. Um, the there's still a lot, a lot of tension, a lot of mess going on. The players received the health thing. We've talked about the health issues before, but they still have not received an economic proposal officially mm-hmm. because the layer, the owners leaked it and everybody blew up and they said, Oh, well, no, that wasn't, that wasn't ours. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, that's supposed to Who come tomorrow. That out? Yeah. <laughs> well, how did that happen? Got to check on that. That was a rough um, draft. You weren't supposed to see that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're supposed to send an actual proposal to the players tomorrow. Um, again, and we've talked about this a lot of times, this is a ticking clock situation because if they're going to get this ready for July 1st, which is what seems to be the case and have at least a couple of weeks of spring training and a week or so of getting people together and you've got to have them, you know, people have to come in and be tested and quarantined. And again, you and I were talking about it. Even if we could do all the stuff they want to do right now, they, they can't. Um, but it's getting to the point where if they're going to have this season, they got to get it done. And I don't know, part of me feels like there's still just a whole lot of ill will between both sides that they're not going to really want to get this done. Yeah. It's such a weird situation, especially when you compare it directly to what we're seeing with the NBA and the NHL in the way that they are finalizing plans to make a comeback. And the the issues are are still the same, right? And perhaps even more so with those two sports is they're much more contact oriented. But the the challenges are still the same. The even the economic issues are still the same as far as players wanting to get paid and owners not wanting to pay them money they don't have because they're not going to have fans in the stands or, or whatever the case may be. So the issues are the same. The way that it's being handled is totally different. And I think I was listening to Derek Gould's podcast earlier this week, and the the point was made there that this is really just putting a magnifying glass on the lack of trust between mm-hmm. the players and the owners in Major League Baseball. And that that didn't happen because of the coronavirus, right? Like this has been an ongoing thing. We've been talking about a potential stoppage because of the new CBA for years now as we've watched the way that the owners have not only manipulated the system that's in place, but have also manipulated the narrative as far as their role in the players' complaints about the way that they're treated and kind of driving the, well, they're millionaires complaining about not getting enough money sort of thing from their comfy corner offices as billionaires. Um, It's not like Major League Baseball is the only entity to ever have these issues. And I would bet that they're not the only sport who has had the kind of confrontation back and forth in trying to come up with a plan that's palatable to both the owners and the players. It's just strangely the only one that has played out in public like it has. And I think, again, that just underlines the fact that they're not really playing fair. <laughs> and you mentioned it with the health plan. The One of the, the things that I see as a huge problem in the negotiating process is that the owners keep leaking these sort of rough draft proposals to the media and then the players find out about them just like we do, instead of the union getting a copy of them to look at as an actual proposal. And 
Major League Baseball has done this for a lot of things in this process, right? Every weird plan that was floated out there as far as, oh, this this information leaked or an email was obtained, like that's not ac- accidental, right? <laughs> Someone is giving that information to a, a reporter who can write about it, float it out there, see the public reaction as well as the player reaction, and then revise it before they actually submit their official proposal to the players, I don't think that's really a great approach here when a lot of those proposed things are incredibly owner oriented and not so much player oriented and it's not really helping bridge the gap. So it's a weird situation to be watching because it it almost feels like you're overhearing a conversation that you're not supposed to hear <laughs> or you you walked into a room and saw something that you're probably not supposed to be watching. And all of this should be happening in a much less public fashion, or the, the the two sides should be much more earnest in, you know, good faith conversations as opposed to trying to bend the other side to their will by way of public opinion. And, you know, I, I don't know if you listen to the show or, or the other shows that I've been on in the last six months or so, that might seem a little hypocritical because I've been so pro minor league baseball utilizing public opinion to work to their advantage. Um, the the little bit of difference is that minor league baseball has no leverage otherwise. Mm-hmm. So they have to do something. But at the same time, even there, I feel like th- there's a line that has been crossed as far as how this is playing out publicly that does a disservice to the game of baseball, as well as to both sides trying to negotiate a deal that that brings baseball back, right? It almost feels like we've lost sight of the point in all of the back and forth. And I, I don't like the, uh, you know, everyone should compromise for the sake of the game kind of starting points on this. But I do think that playing it out the way that it has is not beneficial overall. So hopefully this plan that's presented to the players is more realistic <laughs> than the ones that have been floated out, um, you know, via the media and, and then whatever the, the finalized health and safety protocols are, man, those are things that, that they have to decide on because there are a lot of logistics that have to be, <laughs> moved into action phase, not just discussion phase, like yesterday in order to pull all of that off by the time they want guys to to be back at facilities and, and ready to go. Yeah. I will say the one advantage that the NBA and the NHL have financially is that 90% of their season was already done, you know, mm-hmm. and the players are going to, I mean, you're, you're talking about, two or three paychecks versus a season's worth of paychecks. So, I mean, I guess I would think, may not be, I don't know, but I could, I would think that it's a little easier to say, okay, yeah, I will take 50% of this paycheck or whatever. To and they both out. also already utilize some version of revenue sharing as well as a salary right. cap. So right. that's not right. an issue in their conversations. Exactly. I mean, they're going to have, they're going to be hit. It. They'll be hit with this in the next year or so as, as the calculations right. for right. those salary caps come in. <laughs> So, um, you know, there are, there are different, I mean, baseball is a unique sport when it comes to its labor and, uh, and its management and their ability to take knives and throw them at each other. Um, it's also so, the only one of those major sports that has 
legal exemptions right. that allow them to operate differently than every other business in the entire country. So Which there's I mean, that too. Basically proves that baseball is America's game. When, <laughs> right, however you want right. to think that, you know, that's fine. Um, but um, yeah, so I, you know, again, this is, it feels like this week is a big week. Um, but as you said, I mean, they got, even if they want to, even if everything comes out hunky dory, if they can't do the testing that they say they're going to do on this, it's a problem. I mean, they're not right. going to, they're going to have problems getting back onto it. Cause I know that things are opening up. And I also know, I mean, I'm watching our, you know, here in Arkansas, watching the cases that have doubled in the last two weeks. Um, you know, even though it's not necessarily tied to the openings, it's not going to help matters anyway. <laughs> I mean, if other States are going through this, if, if Missouri starts seeing a spike in theirs, how comfortable are players going to be playing in Kansas city or St. Louis? Um, I don't know. And, and I think, I just don't know. I mean, I don't want to have to, you know, start it up and then start shut it back down, but yeah. I feel like that that's a real strong possibility. And I don't know that that's in anybody's best interest. It's such a weird puzzle to try to figure out because I think the, the, a clear, safe answer is just don't play. Like, everyone just stay home forever, and (laughs) then no one's going to get sick. I don't think that's realistic, as we've seen with some of the holiday weekend celebrations going on uh, in places that are open for business. But I also think there is something to the possibility of controlling the environment as much as possible, right? The fact that cases in Missouri go up doesn't in and of itself mean that players who basically (laughs) stay at home and then go to work are exponentially more at risk. And I want to be careful of saying that because I'm not necessarily suggesting that they just throw caution to the wind and play anyway. But there there has to be a, a, a functional process for creating environment. I mean, the NBA is talking about everybody playing it it uh in Orlando, right? And basically creating the bubble that we all laughed at <laughs> with Major League Baseball, although it's a little bit more functional for the NBA. Um but that sort of control of the environment allows you to operate with a much lower risk factor. Creating that in baseball is a lot harder even though it's less of a contact sport. There are just so many people involved at that point that, you know, to create this kind of dome (laughs) for people to play in isn't super realistic, as well as, you know, with the NBA and with the NHL, we're talking about basically the end of their seasons, not the entirety of their seasons. And that adds to the, the layer of complication. So, you know, if they can put all of these health and safety protocols in place and kind of work out the kinks as far as what happens if someone tests positive, because that seems to be a gaping hole in what we've seen uh, as far as what the plans are there. Um, Then it's not that it's a terrible idea or that it's impossible to pull off or that the very fact that they start playing means that a bunch of people are going to get sick and die. (laughs) There are, there are realistic 
options to put on the table. It's just a matter of being prepared for every possible scenario. And it seems like it's really hard to do that when the situation keeps changing the more we learn and the more we know. And, um, you know, to pull that off in a matter of weeks and have all the testing in place and to do it in a way that, you know, doesn't compromise any sort of like moral code <laughs> by protecting athletes opposed, as opposed to, you know, just normal other people in life. Uh, you know, there's a whole, a whole boatload of things to, to come into that conversation. And that's why it's, it's been so hard to come to any sort of conclusion on, but I think it would be a lot easier <laughs> if they were actually talking to the people, um, who had to approve of any sort of decision, not just those of us who can talk about it for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> can we, let's, let's take everything out of this though. And, and let's be maybe slightly petty or something of that nature. I don't know if it's petty. Maybe it's, 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 it's um, looking at some ramifications that have nothing to do with health and nothing to do with finances and nothing to do with any of the important stuff. Part of what baseball was looking at, at least a couple of months ago, was this idea of they needed to get back because they would be the only sport in town. Mm -hmm. They would be the only sport and people would watch because there's nothing else to do. And we have seen people watch shows about guys with tigers, which I, know, I don't know. Um, they're watching golf tonight, it seems like, with mm -hmm. football players, which is okay. <laughs> I mean, to actually have legitimate competition they would be the you know to be the only ones with legitimate competition this was going to be big for them because they needed to get the eyeballs and people hopefully would be drawn to the sport yeah now they're looking at if they start on july 1st if if and there's a lot of ifs on all this stuff but if the nba starts in late july and if the nhl starts off around that time and they're doing playoff basketball and hockey mm -hmm. Do you, I mean, you have that, it's pretty much typical baseball to have this like one little small little window <laughs> where the NFL is not going and, you know, something, but you don't have this three or four months that you thought you were going to have. You're going to have this little couple of weeks, maybe before people are going to be much more interested in the, because the, the, the stakes are higher in playoff hockey and playoff yeah. basketball. And you're kind of back to where you normally are. Um, I don't know. Does that factor in, do you think, at all to them? You know, because it's like, okay, we're not going to get the, you're not going to be able to maybe hold up the TV partners for as much money because there's going to be extra content, perhaps. Yeah. You know, I, I think it would be foolish to assume, <clears throat> to assume that that hasn't come into play. Mm -hmm. um, I think, though, that perhaps it was a bit naive to think that somehow baseball was going to be able to figure it out before anyone else did. <laughs> um, and again, like the, the difference in the way the sport pits people up against each other in, in close personal quarters perhaps comes into play there. But yeah, it, for a while it did seem like, oh man, if baseball can get this figured out, um, they're going to have an opportunity to capture the heart of the nation it may have been a bit premature to, like I said, assume that baseball that never figures anything out on the first attempt <laughs> was going to be able to solve all of these complicated issues before any other league did. And, you know, that was before they ended up trying to undercut the players a number of times and, and that exaggerated the problem. So, 
I think that it certainly is in play. I think at this point they've lost most of that advantage. And some of that is due to the the kind of back and forth between the two sides as far as the players and the owners. But most of it is because there, there just hasn't been a good, safe way to make progress on any of this stuff. So it's not entirely their own fault that uh, things have taken longer in order to try to understand whether there's a safe way to move forward with this. And, you know, everyone's kind of at the same point in that process of realizing, okay, there are options, but we have to be pretty, pretty careful with how we proceed. And, um, you know, (laughs) not unlike baseball to miss out on the advantage they could have claimed by, um, taking a little longer to figure out what to do with it. <laughs> well, and to be fair, I think that when we were talking about this, you know, a couple months ago or six weeks ago or whatever it was, there was a legitimate idea that the NBA and the NHL might have to just cancel their playoffs yeah. and, you know, pick it back up and start <clears throat> next season, which, I mean, they're already, <clears throat> if they do pick this back up, 